we have been showing you these celebration videos about what God is doing. And that's what we're talking about. Because, because these videos were a way for us to convey to you, at least to kind of show you some of the stories that we are hearing, some of the ways that we feel like God is working in the hearts and lives of folks. We've had some wonderful stories that we've been able to share with you, and it really is just scratching the surface. But I'm, I'm so proud of this kid. Okay, not kid, this young man. Um, and we'd like to show you Brandon's video right now, if we could. Hi, my name is Brandon Walters, and I've been coming to Virginia Hills Church for about seven years now. Well, I always was a churchgoer. My mom, you know, raised me in the church. I was always in it from like, you know, a little tot. <laughs> it was right about eighth grade when me and my mom started coming here exclusively. Um, I just kind of came here every Sunday, didn't really think much of it. But honestly, I started to focus on being a really devoted Christian once I got hurt playing basketball. It really gave me time to focus on everything besides basketball and really get in depth with my relationship with God. I thought my identity was always, you know, the basketball guy. Even when I came here, you know, most people know I play basketball. So I only focused on that for a while. I mean, I came to church, but I didn't really focus on God as much as I should have. And I went to Shenandoah, started practice, you know, conditioning, got hurt the third day of practice, tore every ligament in my left knee, ACL, MCL, the whole thing. And uh, when I was down, you know, I turned on God, and I was like, why are you doing this to me? Why has this got to happen now? And uh, I remember coming to church, sitting in the back row on crutches, <laughs> and just feeling, you know, like I didn't want to be a part of anything. And honestly, God helped me get over it. I don't know how. Uh, I remember I went to a Rockbridge Leader Weekend for Young Life with uh, the assistant pastor, Stephen Merritt. And uh, I just connected with God that whole weekend throughout the sermons. And it really helped me turn my whole thought process around. And uh, ever since then, I've realized that, you know, getting hurt was actually more of a blessing than a curse because it really allowed me to get in with God and discover Him. And I'm way happier than I was before. When I came to Virginia Hills, I realized that there was joy for Him all around me that I had never even noticed. When uh, the singing on stage was going on, I used to just kind of stand there and not even be a part of it. But after you know, I got hurt and I started talking to God all the time and having a good relationship with Him, I wanted to sing as much as I could. And you know, my Virginia Hills family really helped me with that. And honestly, there's nothing better than that. I like Virginia Hills Church because it's not like any other church. I mean, it's just not your typical pews and choirs type of church. It's fun, it's homey, people like it. And you know, that's how I found it easy to bring people here. I mean, friends are at my house all the time and they would you know, come over with me to church and they would be like, that's the coolest church I've ever been to. And they would ask to come back and I would gladly bring them back. And it's just a fun process to go through with your friends. I bring people to Virginia Hills Church because honestly, I'm proud of it. I couldn't imagine a better church and I've been to a few, but this honestly stood out to me more than anything else. Um, I connect with Virginia Hills, uh, everybody here, they're my family, I love everyone. And uh, I'm proud to show everyone that family. And you know, they help me grow in Christ, so I like to spread it to other people. Yeah. So Brandon will be available for autographs right after the service. What was with the hair, man? Just like those three things sticking up. I don't know. It was, it was awesome. My favorite shot in that whole thing was he's riding a scooter in Walmart, and the shirt says, dust them. It's like. 
There's a, anyway, great job, Brandon. We're so grateful for what God is doing in your life and, uh, and continues to do. So we are in a, um, because we have all the kids in here, we wanted to kind of make it a kid-friendly uh, sermon series over the summer. So we're doing famous Bible stories. And I'll be quite honest, this has been one of my favorite series that we've done. I mean, I don't remember, if you didn't grow up in church, you have no idea what flannel graph is. But flannel graph used to be this big, like, felt, covered board that the Sunday school teacher would have on an easel, and she had these little paper figures with the stickum stuff on the back, and just like this, you would show Jesus, and then she could, she was really creative, she'd show Jesus walking across, and, uh, but this is better than flannel graph in my opinion. Today, we are going to be talking about Daniel and the Den of Lions, and it's, it's one of those stories that you hear much about because It's a fascinating story to think of a man being thrown into a den of lions. I would encourage you to read the book of Daniel. It is, there are several stories about faith in that book. It starts off talking about, the the very first chapter talks about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he invades Judah, and he takes captive a lot of the people of Judah. Daniel happened to be one of them. He was part of the nobility or the royalty, and they estimate somewhere between the ages of 7 and 12 is when Daniel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, taken back to Babylon. And if you remember, he had three friends as well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, and all the stories that go with that. And and uh, the the way that Daniel took a stand at that young age as a credit to how he was reared, is that even at that young age, one of the very first things that happened to him was a test of his faith, a test of what his relationship with God was all about. And I felt like it was very revealing about how we are raising our children today to stand for the Lord, regardless of the circumstance. And that carried through all the way to Daniel's life. He, was, he went through four different kings of Babylon. He was in Babylon for 70 years. The king in the story in chapter 6 that we're going to cover today was actually King Darius. And he was the king at the height of the Babylonian Empire. And so he was an incredibly powerful individual. He went and set up 120 different princesses to reign in his kingdom so that his kingdom be to be well cared for. He, then he selected three men, of which Daniel was one, to govern those 120. So, so get this, Daniel was a captive. He was, he was transplanted against his will and worked his way up because of the quality of individual he was to where the king was planning not just to put him in charge of one of the provinces, but he became one of the three that were in charge of all of them. And then the Bible tells us that the king sought to even make him the number two guy in the kingdom and put him over all of them. And that's kind of where we come into this chapter 6 is in verse 3. And it says this, this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princesses, princes. I knew that didn't sound right. 
I mean, he might have been over them too. I don't know. I'm just, shut up. You're missing my point. So am I. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. There was something significant about Daniel. This is, what, this is what's incredible to me. Is that the excellent spirit was in Daniel, not with Daniel. So you notice the, 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 the first letter of the word spirit is a small s. Generally, when you're reading the word of God, if it's a large s, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, like God. When it's a small s, it's talking about our spirit. So as we're reading this passage, I want you to understand that the reason Daniel was being promoted was not necessarily because God was pulling a bunch of levers and making it happen. I believe God had an influence on the character of Daniel, but it was Daniel's spirit that was so excellent that he was promoted to this position. There was something about who he was. And I think we as believers, our relationship with God should influence the decisions that we make and how we do our work and how we conduct business and how we treat people. But if you're not good at what you do, you're still not good at what you do. And might I suggest that your relationship with God as a believer affect you positively to be better than you could be without that, but you still need to work hard, and you still need to be good at what you do, and you still need to have an excellent spirit. And the interesting thing, when you look up that word excellent, it means that which distinguished him above. It's, it's, there was something about Daniel that distinguished him above everybody else, and that spirit was in him, not just with him. Now, this made this promotion that was pending made all the other rulers jealous, right? So they don't like the fact that Daniel was so favored by the king that he was likely going to be put over everybody. But they couldn't find a way to make him look bad because everything he did was excellent. So they said to themselves here in verse 5, it says this, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So we're not going to find anything against Daniel unless it has to do with the relationship that he has with his God. Because Daniel's in a foreign country. He does things differently. He worships Jehovah from his youth. He has certain habits that he has built up and certain things that he does. And they knew that that was the only thing that they were going to be able to snag him on. So they hatched a plan. So what they did was they, I thought it was interesting, though, that the only fault they could find in Daniel was his walk with God. So they hatched this plan, and what, what they do is they go to King Darius, and they flatter him. And they say, King Darius, I tell you what, 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 because you're so great, I think what we need to do is we need to pass a law that nobody is allowed to pray to any other god in all the land for 30 days except for you. 
Now, why would they, why would they do that? Because they knew that Daniel had a habit of praying three times a day to his God. So they knew that this was a habit that he was in, and this was the way they were going to try and snag him. So they go to the king, flatter him. Nobody can pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And he passes this law, and the Bible indicates it, was, it became part of the laws of the Medes and Persians. If you know anything about the laws of the Medes and Persians, Persians it cannot be altered. So once you make a law, you can't go back and say, I made a mistake. It is a law that has to stay in place. So here's what's incredible. Daniel's ability to just do the right thing. It says in verse 10, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, the law had just been passed, he went to his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before time. It didn't alter his behavior at all. I'm not, I'm not pretending to speak for Daniel, but there's a couple things that kind of jump out at me because of his behavior. The first thing was that Daniel's, he, he knew that his God was greater than Darius. And so, so you, you kind of take this to the nth degree. Like, so, so I'm, what, what if I get punished? What, because the punishment was set aside that it was already indicated in the law that if you do this, you'll be cast into a pit of lions. And they had these lions hungry and ready to go and devour whatever you put in that den. And Daniel knew that that was probably going to be the outcome. And as soon as he knew that it was signed, he went and did what he was going to do anyway. I guess he kind of felt like maybe it was time to let God just be God. And he knew that what he had to do was to continue to pray. He knew God was good. He knew God was loving. He knew God was wise and God would handle his problems. (laughs) But how could Daniel be sure? Because the second observation is that Daniel was closer to God than he was to Darius. And he obviously had a good relationship with Darius. But Daniel kept the priorities right. He was closer to his God than he was to King Darius. And if you're going to make me choose, King, I'm telling you, I know which one I'm going to choose. And that brings me to this point. Daniel did not then allow circumstances to affect his relationship with his God. Now, folks, just kind of bear with me just a little bit here. Because he prays with his windows open. And he knew what the ramifications were going to be. But there was something about his relationship with God that was... Not up for discussion. And I just feel like here we are in the 21st century. And I just wonder how many things in our life are just not up for discussion. When it comes to our relationship with God and the practices that we have and and the habits that we have established to maintain a good relationship with God, what is it that is unalterable in your life? 
What habits do you have instituted in your walk with God that you're just not going to let anything interfere? Is there anything? When does God win? When it's, when it's this versus this, when is it that God wins? What is it in our life that's, that's uncompromising? We are not going to do this on that day. We are not going to do this that time of day because this is what I do. You know, things that, that you do with or, or for God that just don't change because of your friends, that don't change because of your work schedule, that don't change because of sports. Things that you do that are unalterable, that this is what God wants us to do. You know, we all want the Daniel faith, but we don't want what Daniel does. Because when it comes down to it, I'll be honest with you, if you and I were to have an honest conversation about what in your life is uncompromising, it'd be a very short list, wouldn't it? Because God will understand. Because God, I mean, you know, God knows. We, I mean, we're in the rec league. That really hurt a lot. Okay. Good thing we took the offering earlier, right? I'm just saying, and, and, and you do what God wants you to do, but I mean, if it's not that, what is it? That's just uncompromising. That we're, I mean, what is it that we are instilling in our children that shows the priority that God has in our lives? When does God win? When it comes between God and this, when was the last time you said, God? When it becomes God or this, God, God wins. When was the last time God won in your life? And I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to get us to think. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And I don't know what it is that God, right, where he is speaking. But to me, it's so clear that Daniel was going to be killed if he prays to his God. And the moment it went into writing, Daniel goes up to his house, opens his window, everybody can see him, and he prays. It just was unalterable. We admire that. We admire it in other people. How about let's translate that into our own life? And let's get a couple wins for God. Because, you know, we are a very self-centered society. And we always feel like God's going to understand. Well, God loves me. He wants me to be happy. I'll pick it up next week. And folks, there are just, so God doesn't need you to be that way. You do. You need to have that priority in your life as it is displayed. 
So then the other men, they gather to watch Daniel pray. So then they went out to the king and they turned Daniel in. Their plan had actually worked. Now here's the thing. It really upset King Darius. Because he was mad at himself. Because he hadn't thought this thing through. Because he never would have passed a law that would have injured or affected this incredible staff member that he has. He would never have passed a law if he thought it would have affected Daniel the way that this was going to affect him. In fact, the Bible says that he worked with his advisors all day long trying to come up with a way to get around the law of the Medes and Persians that he just passed saying that they have to throw Daniel in the lion's den. That's how important Daniel was to King Darius, but he couldn't. He couldn't come up with a way. So he finally looks at Daniel and he says, your God, who you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, I'm not sure how to interpret that, really. Was that kind of wishful thinking? Like, right, Daniel? I mean, God's going to deliver you, right? Or if it was, I got nothing. I got nothing. You're in God's hands now because there's nothing I can do to deliver you. But I thought it was significant that not only did Darius like Daniel, but he respected him in his faith in God. You know what strikes me here is that maybe Daniel wasn't a jerk about his faith. Because a lot of people are. And you just saw their face in your brain. There is a lot of people out there that give Christianity a bad name. Because they're just jerks. And God's not asking you to be a jerk at work. And God's not asking you to be a rear end to your family. I'm watching my language. <laughs> God is just asking you to be a good Christian and make your faith real. And it was impressive enough to King Darius that King Darius believed that, his, that, that Daniel's faith in God was so significant that God would deliver Daniel. I thought that's significant. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. I can't imagine the nerves that must have gone through his body. The questioning, are you sure, God? So he gets thrown in the lion's den, and nothing is really said about what happened in there until a little bit later. But the Bible says that Daniel prayed to God while he was there. I would too. <laughs> what else are you going to do? He was praying before the lion's meal, right? So he tells the king later that God sent an angel and shut up the mouths of the lions. The lion just laid down the whole night. And I don't, know if, I don't know if Daniel slept or what all happened, but it worked. So the king, the very the king stays up all night worrying about it. Doesn't, the Bible says that he fasted 
all night, didn't eat a thing, never went to bed, would not be comforted, would not even let musicians come in to try and help him sleep. He was that concerned about what was going to happen to Daniel. He then goes to the den the next morning, and the Bible says this in verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice. Isn't that a great word? Lamentable. It means painful. And he says this, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God who, is, who you serve continually able to deliver you from the lions? And then he listens. There's an awkward pause. I put that in there. I don't know that there was an awkward pause. There's this awkward moment. And then the Bible says in verse 21, then said Daniel to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. I bet he was glad. Because if he hadn't, it'd be a really short book. It would like end at chapter 6, verse 22, right? I mean, there there wouldn't be the rest of Daniel. So they pulled him up out of the out of the den, and then the king takes all of Daniel's accusers. And they didn't have the same look. So he throws all of Daniel's accusers in the den. And they were punished accordingly. And then the king makes a proclamation that goes throughout the entire empire that there is no God but the living God that Daniel serves. What a witness, what a testament, what a great story of faith. What a wonderful story. I mean, just no matter what. But what's important to remember here, I read this this week, is not necessarily the quantity of Daniel's faith, but the incredible power of the God of Daniel. So we're impressed with Daniel's faith because the truth is that faith is the switch that unleashes the power of God. So when we say somebody has great faith, all faith is great. Because it's not the quantity of your faith that moves the mountain. It's not how much faith you have. It's the fact that you have faith in a great God. So don't, don't think, well, I just I have to have a large quantity of faith. No, you just have to have faith in a great God. Because the amount or the action item or what needs to happen is really inconsequential. It's just the faith that you have in a great God and God's ability. Faith is just the ability to believe God, regardless of the outcome. Because things don't always turn out the way that we think they ought to turn out. I mean, what if Daniel had not been spared? What if, what if we didn't have this great story? Wouldn't quite have the same impact on our faith, would it? But you can have faith in God and things not still work out the way that you thought they ought to work out because faith doesn't ensure your desired outcome. 
Faith just trusts that God will do what's best. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter or the hall of faith. If you read through there, it's just, it's just incident after incident down through history of how God saved people, the faith that they displayed. And I want to read you just a few verses of it. I don't even have it on the screen. Um, that, that's for a little later, Dave, but I appreciate you being prepared in advance. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 through 38. Listen to this. Who? I need a longer arm. I humbled myself. Check this out. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. It's right there. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again because of faith. And then it's like the writer of Hebrews changes track, and he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. <laughs> well, I, I like the first part better, right? That if I have faith in God, everything's going to work out the way that I think it ought to work out. Folks, there's no guarantee. Else it would not be faith. Faith is not trusting that everything is going to go according to your plan. Faith is believing that God knows best and God is going to work it to the best outcome according to his will. And I don't know what that is for you. But I believe God is loving. And God is wise. And God is all-powerful. And whatever that may be, whatever that outcome may be, we have to have faith that it is for our best. And at some point, you just have to do what you know is right and trust God. And that's where a lot of us are right now. And then there's that verse, Hebrews 11. Six that says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that word impossible, it really means like, it's a, it was used four times, but it's, it's the same word that was used to describe the impotent man who couldn't walk. It's like impossible, like, like impossible to please God like it would be impossible if you didn't have the use of your legs to run. I mean, it just can't happen. So the question is, what, where is your faith being exercised? 
We want to please God. We want God to be happy with who we are, and we want this to be a very real thing. We want our Christian life to be something that is in, that is in a growing phase. We're going to the next level. But, folks, it doesn't just happen here. This is an encouraging time. And I love seeing God grow the church and, and affect people's lives. But you individually, to grow spiritually, need to exercise your faith. And that means, that means doing things that you know God wants you to do, regardless of the outcome. And I don't presume to know what that is for you. I know what it was for us. And things that we implemented from our family... And the priority that we placed on Sunday and the priority that we placed on giving to God and the priority we placed on not allowing our kids to work and miss church. I mean, and those those are my things. And I don't know any stories in here, and I'm not trying to hit anybody. I'm just saying that there were some things that we just said, they're not going to happen. And I don't even know how they were going to turn out. But there were just some things that we just weren't, we were going to make a priority for us and exercise some faith. And I'm glad. Because I feel like the results were good. And I don't know what that means for you, but, but I love the tension that I feel in here right now. I really do. That's my job. My job is to challenge you spiritually. And I'm not going to stand before you one day and give an account for how I pastored our church. I'm going to stand before God. And if you come to church here week after week and all you do is enjoy the music and go off and you just have a wonderful time and, and, you're never challenged, and you never grow, shame on me. But if I can challenge you and make you feel a little guilty every once in a while, I feel a lot better when I leave here. Right, But if you can like just take a, a step of faith in your life, give it a shot. Put God to the test in whatever area he is speaking to you in right now. And you know what's funny is there's probably things in my life that if you were to get to know me really well, you'd be like, well, you're not putting God to the test in that area. You're right, because I got things to work on too. But I don't presume to know what God's priority is for your life. But my guess is that there was something that God stuck you with today. And that's a good thing. Man, aren't you glad that he loves you enough to want to take you to a different level spiritually? I am. And I love you. And you're good for me. And I love our church, and I love what God is doing here and in the lives of people. And I want to challenge you this morning to exercise your faith, to put God to the test, regardless of the circumstances that you may be in. Maybe have a conversation with your wife and say, what are some things in our life that are just going to be unalterable? What are some things in our life that we're going to institute as parents 
that are just going to be uncompromising. This is going to be what we do as a family to serve God. Now, listen, you're not going to be perfect, but it's the direction that you're going to head. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And maybe you're here this morning, you enjoyed your time here, and you're thinking to yourself, I really don't even know what he's talking about. Thank you for being here and for being honest, because that faith that is required to have a relationship with God is something that you can have, regardless of your history, regardless of your spiritual background, because the Bible says Jesus Christ came to have a relationship with the entire world. You may be familiar with the passage, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he later on said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are the whosoever. We are the ones that get to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Regardless of your background, regardless of your history in church, regardless of your lack of spirituality or abundance of spirituality, it all takes the same thing, and that is calling upon him and exercising that faith in him. That's where it begins. And we have folks here that that would love to help you with that. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if you came to a church like this and you walked out and you had that relationship with the Lord? We'd love to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this incredible story of Daniel and the way that it's been passed down thousands of years and recorded in history as an example of faith being exercised in a great God. And I pray, Father, that we'd walk out of here challenged today to just do better, to be better children of you, and that you would have a win in our lives. And, Father, I pray that you would just be with the folks who may be visiting, maybe they've come for a while, they've never exercised that faith in establishing a relationship with you. They've never whosoever willed, call upon the name of the Lord. And I pray, Father, they would not let another day go by without taking care of that. We love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful group of people. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.